0: Let's pray, though, first. Father, we just want to thank you for tonight and for the opportunity we have to, again, study your word and just see what it is you have to say to us here tonight, particularly dealing with dating and marriage. Um, I pray that you would speak, um, that you would uh, just show us your perspective on these, this subject, these subjects, and uh, just guide us. We pray for Mary, that you would continue to touch her, Lord, as she's not feeling well today. Help her to get better. Uh, we want to pray for the guys from Pine Ridge that didn't get to make it because they were helping move. Uh, bless their endeavor as they're helping somebody move into a new home, condo, whatever it is. Um, be with Tanner as he's down at uh, La Habra tonight teaching at their church tonight. Uh, and just use him down there. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so dating and marriage. So according to Webster's Dictionary, the word dating is to make a usually romantic social arrangement to meet with. So dating obviously can mean a lot of things in our context. This is uh, what we're going to address, uh, is to make a romantic social agreement to meet with somebody, whether that be at the movie theater or the restaurant or whatever it is. Um, dating is. I believe the world's way of trying to subvert um, what God wants done. uh, You don't see dating in the Bible, typically in the Old Testament time. um, They were prearranged marriages, which I don't think I really would like to be involved in. You know, I kind of, if I'm going to live with the lady for the rest of my life, I should get to have some kind of say in it. you know your mom and dad; they try to set you up with everybody all the time, anyways. And my mom didn't, but I know my wife and all, the, all these other women. They they want you know they know the perfect one for their child. Um, fortunately, when you're a Christian, God can overrule what the wife or the mom wants to do, and um, you can end up with probably the right one. And yeah, it worked out for Rebecca that way. Um, you got the right one. Because we, she got a guy that we didn't know anything about, so we couldn't hook her up with him. In uh, Judges, chapter fourteen, verses one through three, we see Samson, who was a judge, who had an issue with chasing after women. And uh, in chapter fourteen, verses one through three, it says Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman of Timnah in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. Now, uh, Samson's motivation... For getting a wife is uh, she pleases him well. What that meant at that time or to him, I don't really know. It doesn't say. Um, My guess is that she looked good, and so he wanted her. And the parents said, well, wait, can't you get one from your own brethren? Uh, But Samson didn't want any part of that. He said, no, I want this one because this is the one that I'm attracted to at the moment. Uh, And that's a problem... With dating, I'm not saying that's what Samson's trying to do here. He's not like trying to find a date. you know, go mingle or what is it called mingle or uh, uh what's what's the Christian one? Christian mingle. Oh, Christian Mingle, yeah, Christian mingle, or you can go to farmers only or you know losers only or whatever druggies only, I don't know there's so many different things out there um, no what's the the, the most e harmony that's the big one, the guy that if God can't do it for you, they can, okay. And that guy came out of Fuller Seminary too, the guy that started that eHarmony. I don't think God needs their help. Uh, Research suggests that before settling down, a woman will go on four disastrous dates, be stood up once, and she will also have fallen in love twice, lived with one partner, and had four one-night stands. Men, on the other hand, face being stood up twice, will have six one-night stands before they meet their ideal partner. That came out of a research that was done on April 10th, 2017. Very, very recently that I read this article. I was like, wow, that's crazy. Um, That is dating. That is what you find in dating. That little story I read about Samson and this woman from Timnah that he wanted of the Philistines. Um, If you guys know the story of Samson, it didn't work out for him too well. He never got married to this girl. In fact, her parents gave him away to somebody else. God had a hand in what was going on and used that to destroy Philistines um, because he was mad. But God used Samson in a lot of different ways. Um, It's crazy because God will use your flesh or not... Let me say it different Not that He uses your flesh. When you're in the flesh, God will still use you to get His purpose done. So, there's God's purpose is going to be done no matter what you do. But whether He uses you because you're walking in the Spirit and with Him, or you're walking in the flesh fulfilling your own desires, His will will be done. The difference is, at the end, whether or not you get destroyed or you get to have God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, I personally would rather have God like what I did rather than destroy me for what I did uh, Samson 's life you know as we looked at him, we know at the end of samson 's life, he ended up with eyes poked out, his hair was cut, and he was grinding wheat basically he was pushing the, the millstone around um, He brought was brought into the the Coliseum type place of the Philistines so they could make fun of him um he asked god one more time it said his hair began to grow again if you read that story i don't want to get into all of that but it wasn't samson's hair okay basically what it was saying is that samson began to trust in god again and he asked to be taken to the pillars of the temple that he was in he leaned on the pillars he pushed the pillars brought down the temple and he killed more philistines that day than he did all the rest of the time they killed a bunch of philistines but he lost his own life in the process um horrible way to go But Samson did not keep in check his own lustful desires. Had he done that, he probably would have fared better um, in his life and done greater things than what he was able to do. So him choosing this Philistine woman... um, Let me get my pencil out of here so I can get to the pages I need to get to... Um, made Samson what we would call unequally yoked. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14-16, Paul writing to the church of Corinth, he says, "...do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols?" For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So I point to Samson and he's unequally yoked. Now we know that God told the Hebrew children when they left Egypt, when they were going into the promised land, he told them you're going to go into this land and you are not to marry with the Canaanite women. They were not to intermingle with those people as Tanner's been going through on Wednesday nights in Genesis. And he talks about how when they went into Egypt, they were sent to Goshen and they were shepherds. They were set apart from the Egyptians so that they wouldn't intermingle with the Egyptians because their trade, their occupation was an accursed thing to the Egyptians. So they wouldn't want anything to do with them. So we can see, and I'm going to show, that God always had this idea. This isn't something that Paul came up with just for the church of Corinth right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 22 verses 9 through 11 God says through Moses you shall not sow your vineyard with different kinds of seed lest the lest the yield of the seed which you have sown of and the fruit of your vineyard be defiled you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You shall not wear a garment of different sorts, such as wool and linen mixed together. And then it goes on to talk about tassels. But notice right here God says, when you're plowing or sowing in your vineyard, you don't sow different kinds of seed. You don't mix the seed. He says, when you plow, you don't mix the animals, you don't mix a donkey and an ox. When you wear garments, you don't mix the wool and linen. You don't mix the clothing, the cloth, the material that it's made with. It's a precedent that God was setting up back then, the same as he did in Egypt and told the children of Israel, when they went to the promised land, not to marry with the Canaanites. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians, God is setting a precedent that you are to be have like uh, people, Hebrews and Hebrews, Christians and Christians, And Paul sets out, remember, the New Testament is commentary on the Old. Okay? New Testament isn't some new idea that the Old Testament knew nothing about. It's commentary on the Old. So if you go into the Old Testament you see this and you go, why can't you put two different kinds of seed together? What's the big deal? You know, I'm going to throw out and I'm going to have some grapes here and some wheat right next to it or whatever. God said, no, no, no. It may work. I don't know. I'm not a farmer, so I don't know if it would work or not. I'm guessing it would. Um, but he was laying down a precedent of being separate. You don't mix the things and then it gets into relationships. So I believe God here in Deuteronomy was laying that precedent that you want an ox and an ox, a donkey and a donkey, a horse and a horse or whatever it is. Of course, of course. Mr. Ed, you guys don't know that. Um, Richard does and Richard. The Richards know that one. Uh, You want to keep the same kind. And it's this, that's what God wants in relationship. Now, we don't want to be unequally yoked. Okay? We see that in 2 Corinthians. I believe that's what is being spoken of here. Also in Deuteronomy, obviously it's being spoken in a different context, but is the same principle. Now, there's another thing that we do that most Christians don't know about and I didn't know about for a long time as a Christian, but it's what I've taught my children that are now adults, um, is courting. And there's a difference between dating and courting. Remember, dating is to make a usually romantic social arrangement to meet with. Courting is to seek the affections of, especially to seek to win a pledge of marriage from. So one is I'm meeting with somebody and your motivation, who knows what it is. That's dating. Courting, I'm meeting with somebody, but my motivation is I'm looking for a spouse. I'm looking for a wife or a husband. See the difference? One is, I just need somebody to put around my arm. The other one is, no, I want somebody for life. I'm looking for my help which we're going to get into that later, the help That's the difference between courting and dating. I believe that the courting is the better way to go. In Genesis 24, 37, and 38, if you guys know the story, we have Abraham... Sending his servant to find his son a bride. Hang on, where do I want to be? I want to be in 37 and 38. Uh, Abraham gets his oldest servant in his house, brings him to him, tells him we're going to make a pledge, and it's putting a hand under the thigh, something that is definitely foreign to us. But that's the way they did their pledge. He said, and I want you to swear that you will go and find a wife for my husband. You will not find her among the people here. I want you to go back to my people, back to Mesopotamia, back to the land of the Chaldeans, and I want you to find myself find my husband. It's like you trying to get notes on the guitar, huh? Try to find my son a wife. So... The servant promises that he's gonna do that. He goes into back to his master's country. He's prays he goes to this well and he prays to God, Hey God of my master Abraham, if I found favor in your eyes, here's what I want you to do. I wanna I'm gonna have some lady I want some lady to come up and, and offer to water my camels. Kind of a weird thing, you know, we wouldn't do that today, but um He's sitting there at the well and all of a sudden this girl comes up and she gives water to her camels, gives water to him. Um he says, Hey, uh how's it going? I'm from, you know, where I'm from, Abraham. And he he asked where she was from, and she happened to be from the family of Abraham. He's like, Oh man, God's doing something crazy here. He went back to she brought him back to the house. Um this was uh Laban, which was Abraham's ends up being Isaac's uncle. Uh, which we we had issues with this guy later on. Uh, don't want to get into all that. 37 and 38 is where I'm going to go, but just so you have the background, kind of what happened. He says, My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And then he went on, and he just went over the same thing. But God said, I don't want... Or Abraham said, I don't want my son to marry with a foreign woman. I want him to marry a woman from my family. Abraham sets a precedent for his son, for his wife. Um, there's a lot of stuff in this whole story about Abraham and Isaac and, and the servant and how they become like the father, son, and the Holy Spirit and all that stuff. We're not going to get into because that's not the purpose of what we're teaching today. It is just to show that this prearranged marriage by Abraham through his servant was set in the context of having the same kind of people, again, not unequally yoked. It was the Mesopotamians, those from Abraham's tribe or Abraham's people that he would get his wife's, his son's wife from. I believe that is exactly what God wants. And in doing that, um, we see that the way Abraham set it up, and we look at the way that Isaac ends up with his wife, his marriage, all that, Rebecca, and all the stuff that happens through that, um, it is definitely the right way to go when you marry somebody because you want like-minded people. They always say the problem you have with marrying an unequally yoked person, with a non-believer, if you're a Christian, you marry a non-Christian, the problem you have is not with your non-Christian wife, It's with your father-in-law, her God. See, because you're supposedly a follower of Jesus Christ, of God the Creator, she's a follower of Satan. Now, she may not, you know, sacrifice people and all that, knowingly following Satan, but that's who she's under the control of, if she's not a Christian born again. So your problem is going to be with her father-in-law, with Satan. You're going to have conflict all the time. Um, It works out sometimes, rarely, it can work out. Um, I think one of the greatest examples that I personally know of is Rawl and Sharon Reese. And you talk to Sharon and I guarantee you she would tell you, do not marry an unbeliever. Sharon went through a lot of stuff before Rawl finally got saved. You know, and we all everybody here probably pretty much knows the story. Basically, Rawl was sitting at home on an Easter Sunday night waiting for Sharon to come home with a loaded shotgun in his hand so he could yeah. blow her brains out, and then his own and his son Raleigh. That's what he was going to do. He was going to kill Raleigh and then Sharon and himself. Fortunately, he turned on the TV because Sharon was missing. He got bored, turned the TV on, and this old man named Chuck Smith happened to be on TV, shared the gospel, and Raleigh got saved right there. Chuck's a good man. was. He's with the Lord now. Definitely. Um, it's an exception. It's not the rule. The rule, it's going to be horrible. Samson... His life was a mess because of what he chose to do. So, by definition, we can see that courting is the more reliable way to find the right one, the the wife that you want, okay? Not through eHarmony, not through Farmers Only, not through Mechanics Only, not through whatever site you want to go to, you know? That's not the way to find a wife or a husband or online. I know people that have done it and, you know... Right now, the jury's still out on one of my friends. That's how he found a wife, and they've been doing good so far. But time will tell. You know, she's a great woman. Hopefully, God blessed him in doing what he did. It's not the way to go. I have a, a better way to go, and we're going to get into that. I've talked about it. A lot of you guys have heard already, but um, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit in First Corinthians. We're going to take a look at uh, something else that Paul writes to the church of Corinth. Paul has a lot to say about the marriage relationship First um, Corinthians chapter seven verse 9, seven through nine. Paul says, "For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them to remain even as I am, but if they cannot exercise self control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul suggests if you're single, you're not married, it's good to stay unmarried for the purpose of ministry. Okay, that's what Paul's getting at. He's not saying marriage is a bad thing or he doesn't like marriage or he they they say that because Paul being part of the Sanhedrin actually at one time had to be married to be part of that. So something happened to Paul's wife and you never hear anything about Mrs. Saul whatever happened to her. Um, but they say that he was probably at one time married. So Paul's motivation for saying this is for ministry, and and we get into it later on. He talks about it. Because when you're married, your heart and your concern is for your mate. So you have to give part of your time, your attention, your heart, your love to your mate. It's just part of what is in Christianity and in marriage. So Paul's saying, so if you don't have that, then your whole heart, your whole life can be dedicated just to service to God. He says, he says there though, but if you cannot exercise self-control, marry. So if you know in your heart you want a wife, you're not one that could be celibate the rest of your life, he says get married because it's better to marry than to burn with passion. You don't want to get into the, the burn with passion thing because there's a lot of stuff that goes on with that. I um, mean, we will get into some of that too. in Matthew chapter 19. That's not where we're going to get into this. Matthew chapter 19, verses 10 through 12. It says, his disciples said to him, after Jesus was talking to them, he's talking about um, divorce. They asked him about Moses because of the hardness of your hearts, he allowed you to, permitted you to divorce. Um, they asked why Moses commanded that you divorce. And he said, no, he permitted it. But it says, his disciples said, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry So Jesus said to them, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. So, eunuch is a man that has been castrated. That's a eunuch, okay? He says some are born that way, or they're born without the desire to marry. Um, or whatever, maybe body parts just didn't happen when they should have, I guess. Uh, There are men who are eunuchs because men made them that way. Remember back in this time, polygamy was big. These people had harems. They had people that took care of the harems. Um, Esther is a great example of the harem and all that stuff that went on. And the eunuch is made a eunuch so that he can't mess with the prince or the king or the emperor or the whatever he is with all his girlfriends and wives, that the eunuch can't mess with them because he doesn't have the ability to do anything. So they make him a eunuch, and then also it takes away the drive um, of the man when you remove certain parts of the body. Uh, he says, and then there's some are the eunuchs by their own choice. Okay, And it's not necessarily that they castrated themselves. It is that they have given themselves to celibacy. Um, they could have done the other, but more than likely it's just given to celibacy. That they've chosen rather to serve God than to marry. Okay, The Catholic Church commands this from their priests. The priests are not allowed to marry. And I believe um, there's probably some that never have a problem with it. But we all know that there are some who have a serious problem with it. And they end up molesting the, the little altar boys um, there are, if, if you look into it, you think about the nuns n u n. you um, what, uh, someone had mentioned this to me and I won't say who it was, but, um, uh, the nuns were basically just the women for the priests. They're within the Catholic realm. Someone had mentioned to me, that's what the nun actually was, was they were like the concubine to the priest because they couldn't marry. It was an ability for them to have a woman around. Um, You would never hear that quoted in the Catholic Church, um, but like I said, someone had mentioned that to me, and it's plausible. It's definitely something you would think maybe. So there are eunuchs. Paul talks about uh, marrying and not marrying. Jesus talks about eunuchs. Um, Some can do it, some can't. Paul also gets into um, sexual immorality, which we did touch on last week. I believe we were talking about it as we were going through the the will of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 3-8, through 8, it says, "...for this is the will of God, your sanctification, right? that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such." as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. So God's desire, sanctification, to be set apart. We need to be different than the world is. Okay? eHarmony, Christian Mingle, whatever other dating sites are out there. Okay, that's the world. The guy that started the eHarmony, he wants to, he claims he is a Christian. I don't know. Maybe he is. I I have no idea. Um, But what he's doing is getting filthy rich on something that the people are buying into in in these days, which is the dating services. He claims to be the best out there. Um, And, I mean, if you listen to some of their ads, basically what he is saying is if God can't find you a mate, we can. That's really what he says. But God wants His will. We looked at it last week. His will is our sanctification, our being set apart, and that you should abstain from sexual immorality. We looked at that. He says that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, and it's in the matter of sexual purification. God does not want us defrauding one another. We as uh, human beings are naturally progressive, and all you have to do is think about Things in your own life, um, if you've ever been with guy, with girl, whatever, when you're, well, okay, for me, when I was in the world, you start out, you find a girl, you like her, you hold hands, and you just get all tingly and warm and fuzzy, and your hands are all sweaty, and and that that's good for a while, but then after a while, it's just holding hands. So you want to change. So now, I'm going to put my arm around, I'm going big, man, arm around her. And then all of a sudden, there's that feeling again. It's like, wow, there it is again. The worm fuzzy, sweaty palms. And then after a while, it's just your arm around her. So then you want to go a little further. You know, maybe kiss on the cheek, which moves to the lip, which turns into other types of the kissing. And then we're progressive like that as human beings. So if you start, you're probably not going to stop. It's going to grow. It's going to progress further and further in the relationship. Um... You don't want to do that. Um, My daughter learned as she was growing up that guys are dogs, okay? There's a lot of dogs sitting in this room right now. Only two girls We're dogs, okay? And I used to tell my daughter that. I said, guys are dogs, and I know because I'm a guy. Okay, that's just what we are. So it's always been that the women were the one that put the boundaries in relationship. The women were the one that stopped the guy from trying to kiss her from trying to get his hands all over her it was the woman that did it in society today they don't do that it's okay we don't want to teach them abstinence because you know they're they're going to do stuff anyway so instead of teaching abstinence we'll just provide supposed protection for sexual intercourse which is stupid because if you look at it statistically the protection they provide is not very accurate or reliable Um, very 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 often it fails but they try to tell you this is this is the way we'll do it instead of teaching abstinence. My daughter, I taught her abstinence. I said, guys, we'll try to do a lot of stuff. She had a hard time growing up because guys weren't always after her, and they were after other girls. Well, there's a reason they're after the other girls and not after her because she wasn't provoking them to chase after her. Um, it was really cool because um, to have, you know, it was bummer to watch some of the way she felt sometimes about herself, but... Um, I guarantee you, if Becca was sitting here right now where I am, I know she's sitting right here, she's right here, sitting where I am right now, she would not want to go back and change what she did. And I guarantee you Michael sitting right next to her is glad that his wife was that way also. He got uh, an incredible um, woman with great control. Um, So one of the other things, um, let's go to 1 Corinthians and I'll, I'll get into... Um, something else here in 1st Corinthians chapter 6 15 through 20 Paul says do you not know that your bodies are the members of Christ shall I then take a member of Christ and make them members of a harlot certainly not or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her for the two he says shall become one flesh but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that the body, your body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you are bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So, Paul, let in the know, your body is not your own. You have no right to take your body and join it with a harlot. And I know in our minds and in our society, when we think of harlotry or prostitution, it's always man and the woman is the harlot. Okay, In this context, the harlot, the prostitute, could be male or female. You do not take your body and join it to a prostitute. Paul says, because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is interesting, that he says that, Do you not know, in verse 16, He who is joined to a harlot is one body with her, for the two, he says, shall become one flesh. Um, Verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. So I know that we always say that sin is all the same to God. And to God, it is. But to to our own selves, to our own bodies, sexual immorality is a different kind of sin. Paul says, all the sin you do is outside the body except sexual immorality. That one's different. And I don't want to make light of um, lust or anything like that. But everybody would admit to look at a person, I'm not saying this is right or it's Something anybody needs to do, but let's say a magazine of a naked man or a naked woman. There's a difference between looking at the picture and jumping in bed with a person. Okay, there is a difference there. One is like not good at all. The other one is like really bad. The Proverbs talks about it, man. You sleep with a woman, expect the husband to come down. He's, he's a jealous guy. You're not going to be able to get out of it. He'll probably just kill you. Okay, it's, it's not good. And that's you see that all the time, these love triangle things and all that stuff that the world is telling you. Um, it's, it's bad. There's, there's something different about the sexual immorality. And it's because, like he says here, the two become one flesh. Okay, The sexual intercourse is a part of it, but spiritually there's something that goes on there too. It's not just a physical act. There's something spiritual also about it. It's just the way that God designed it. So Paul says, flee, don't go near it, leave it alone. If you cannot accept being without a wife, marry. Don't burn in passion. You don't want to do that. The venereal diseases, the sexually transmitted diseases that are out there today, it's crazy what's going on out there with all these things, and they're getting worse and worse. Um, The thing I was going to bring up also is, I believe they say that, I'm going to say really low percentage, 80%, I'm going to say. It may be higher than that. of the marriages that end in divorce, typically that couple had sexual intercourse before marriage. And the problem is now the man does not trust the woman. And this has been proven that that's the thinking of the man. She didn't keep herself pure for me. I don't know that she's going to keep herself pure now that I'm married to her. And I know for girls, that's not fair, and it's not that a guy would think that, but that is what they think, and it creates a lot of problems in the marriage. But when you know you have a husband, a wife that was pure as you were courting, not dating, courting, they kept themselves pure, then you can almost be assured that they will keep this that during your marriage relationship. So you want to have that kind of a relationship. Because of the progressive part, we don't want to start anything. We're looking for a long-term relationship. The world is looking for immediate gratification. Um, I've told you guys before with my wife, um, when we first started courting, okay, we didn't know that word, so but we were courting. And my mom and I shared an apartment. And I can remember at times we'd be sitting next to each other. And my brain would start going. I'd tell you, you need to get up and move. You need to get away from me. And she'd look at me like, what'd I do? Because she didn't, you know, because she's not thinking the way I'm thinking. Her brain doesn't work like mine does. And I explained to her, you know, we can't, my my flesh wants to take off right now and I can't, you need to move away from me. Or I would get up and leave. She never never stayed at my apartment um, without my mom being there. Or if it was like summertime or something, all the curtains would be open, all the windows would be open. We'd be sitting on two separate couches. We'd never be close together. Whenever we went anywhere, it was either church or if we went to, like, we'd go to Magic Mountain Christian Night with a group of people. We were always around groups of people. And I love to boast that I never put my hands on my wife before we were married. I never touched her inappropriately. In fact, we used to kiss, and I got to a point, I told her, we got to stop this. Not even kissing, because my mind starts wandering, See, because I came up in the world. I was one of those that I was the dog. I mean, we're all dogs anyways, but it's probably easier if you grow up in the church. You, you have a little more. You grow up with constraint and self-control. In the world, you don't. My, I was all about me. That's all I cared about. So um I I actually told her eventually, I said, no more kissing. And she was just like, what? I'm like, I'm sorry. It's got to stop. Not even kissing. So she got over it. And um it's been, we figured it out. I think we're going on 32 years in August it'll be 32 years that we've been married um the longevity it's it's having both of you committed to this kind of a life never putting yourself in a compromising situation the the junk on the internet the pornography the lies that it tells um you know, and, and that's a lot of the problem with the world today is the pornography industry tells all these lies. One of the biggest lies they tell, it's called the rape myth, where if you begin to move on a woman in a way that she feels inappropriate and she says no, what she's really telling you is yes, but she doesn't want to say yes. And that's why the rape myth. They think that because that's what pornography teaches them is that though they're saying no, inside they're really saying keep going. And so the guy keeps going. They did a study back in the 80s at UCLA, and they asked a bunch of guys in, at UCLA, if you could rape a woman and get away with it, would you do it? 95% of the men said yes. That's horrible. See, because that's self-gratification. That's what the world's telling you. That's not what God wants. Paul here, very specific what we're talking about, flee sexual immorality, and that is of any type. You flee Get away from it. So how do you get through this? The the lust is wrong. The sexual desire is good. So you don't ever pray, God, take away my sexual drive or my sexual desire because that's there for you for marriage. But it has to be, it's like Solomon talks about it. It's got to be in time. In the Song of Solomon, it talks about you don't, um, I'm trying to remember how it words it. Don't awaken Love before it's time. Okay, I was going to say before it's season. Okay, before it's time. And it talks about that is you don't get yourself in a position where you stir up all the emotions and the stuff that makes you want to go too far. Um, You have to be committed, both of you. And the man is the one that's supposed to be the strongest and the woman has to be the protector of her own body. And think about the long term. If you know that the majority of the marriages break up because of sexual immorality before time, um, you know I have friends that have gone through stuff and, and not even. Well, I don't know. From what I know of a couple of my friends, that they just had their hands on their wives before they were married, and their their marriages didn't last. And that they did As far as I know, there wasn't sexual immorality. I was never really told that there was, but it's it's something you just want to stay away from. So this whole marriage thing is so difficult, I think one of the greatest things to, that I say, and it's kind of confusing, is I don't think you're ready to be married until you're ready to be single the rest of your life. And that's kind of hard to think about. What I, what I mean by that is, see, because if your desire is to be married, it's your desire. So it's your desire. If you're willing to stay single for the rest of your life, then you're submitted to God and you're given over to God. If he brings you a wife, then your concern is not you anymore. You've got a wife and now it's like, oh, how can I make her happy? And we're going to see that is actually the design that God has. So you have to be willing to not be married. And for myself, when I got saved, there was no courting or dating happening in my life i didn't care there was nobody out there that i wanted to get close to except jesus christ i had 20 years of the world i wanted to get close to god i knew one day i would be married and i've told you guys before so i prayed and i said god i want the godliest woman that you got the godliest but then i started thinking wait a minute a godly woman looks for one kind of man and that's a godly man i said okay so i better start working on me before I worry about her. Whoever she is, wherever she is, I got to change my life and I got to become a godly man so that when a godly woman comes along, she'll recognize that I'm a godly man. I think I deceived her, but um, I'm trying. But she would recognize that at least my attempt is to be a godly man and that she would desire me. So the relationship here, I was willing, God, I'm not even going to look. I don't even care. I don't want to go out with girls. Uh, Calvary Chapel, West Covina, was filled with girls, guys and girls. But a lot of girls, I had no interest. I'm like, I just want to serve God. That's all I want to do. And everybody, pretty much most everybody knows how I met my wife. And I will probably tell that story before we get done here. um, Because it's going to fit in perfectly with the next thing we're going to look at. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, after God created all the animals, brought them before Adam... He named them all. He watched them, you know, there's male and female, giraffe and elephant and horse and whatever else, animals that were there. And verse 18, it says, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Now the word helper in the original is called help meet. M-E-E-T, help meet. And the word means to surround protect or aid okay so that's what a help meet does surround protect or aid basically it's a completer of you okay my wife and i were complete opposites i've said it before my wife saw the good in everybody and everything and nobody had an angle on what they were doing she'd watch tbn all the time And when they asked for all that money and donation and give coffee cups, she was like, oh, their heart is so good. Me? I knew what those people were up to. No good. They wanted the money so they could buy another jet, so they could get a bigger house, so they could have more gold stuff on their stage. It was all about them. And that's all I saw in everybody that wanted something. It was for their own benefit. There was never... Nobody had a good motive for doing stuff. Okay? So now... I get a phone call and someone's telling me that they're trying to sell me this thing. That's probably the, the one thing I have to have in my life besides Jesus Christ is this one thing. And I'm thinking, yeah, I probably do need that thing. Yeah, why don't you send it to me? You know, it's going to cost me $8 billion. Right, yeah, I, I'll, I'll work it out somehow. And they tell Patty, yeah, I bought this thing. And it's like, you wouldn't believe how great this thing is. It's going to, you know, do the windows and wash the floors and, you know, we'll be able to fly. And, and she says, what are you thinking? We don't need that thing. Those people are trying to rip you off. like. And I'm like, when did I become her? And she became me. I'm like, but you see how the two of us together, we become more like each other. I see better in people than I ever did before. I can see good in people. She can see bad in people. Because it's not good to be one, fully one way or the other. That's why it's opposites attract. I'm too much like Kevin. We need to get rid of Kevin. I need to be more like Patty. But Patty needs to be less like Patty and more like Kevin. And we come together and all of a sudden we start thinking the same. We start doing things the same. I'm doing things that she used to do. She's doing things I used to do. And, and it's like, wait, when did we flip? Yeah. But that's marriage. That's the way it is. That's what God does. So when he said, it's not good that man should be alone and man is mankind, not just in this context, obviously it's Adam. But in general, it's not good that we be alone. Even if we're not going to get married, we still need people. We need people to help us to keep on the right track. We, sometimes we're just, we're too into our, our own thing and we need to see other perspective. So that's why a multitude of counselors is always a good thing to have that the scriptures talk about. In same chapter 21 and 22, it says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, closed the flesh in its place, and then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the woman. Brought her to the man. Sorry. So he he takes Adam and puts him to sleep. Okay. This is what... I mean by wanting to be single the rest of your life, okay? I had to be out of the process of trying to find the wife, right? Can you imagine Adam? He knows he's, he's got this need. God sees his need. He needs to help me. But Adam has never seen a woman. He doesn't know what a woman is because there never has been one. He knows what a giraffe looks like and an elephant and a hippopotamus and a, all these animals, right? So he could be going, I don't know, man, that, that chipmunk was kind of cute. You know, maybe she's kind of chipmunkish and right. He doesn't know. So he's trying to tell God this. I think, I think, it, you know, if it was part chipmunk and part kangaroo, I mean, so God says, no, you know, what? I, I don't need your help. I'm going to get you out of the way. So that's, I I read this and I said, God, that's what I need to do. I need to be out of the way. You need to put me to sleep so I am not part of the process of creating the woman that I need in my life. My wife, in my mind, was going to be blonde, had blue eyes, get tan, like I do. I'm not tan now, it's still winter. I get very tan. Um, Love surfing basketball baseball all the sports i'm i do all the athletic things i'm i mean that's me so i knew my wife was going to be the same way in my mind that was the one right the chipmunk kangaroo combo thing right because i thought i knew what i needed but i'm like god i'm probably gonna mess this up so you know what get me out of the way so you guys know patty brown hair green eyes as fair as you can get, like Becca, just white. The only thing she does in the sun is burn, does not surf, does not play basketball, does not play baseball, is not athletic, unlike my daughter. She actually does that stuff. Well, softball, she is very good. Um, she was nothing like what I thought I needed. But I know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, she is what I needed. Because like I said, I wanted somebody that was more like me. Remember, I made that comment just a minute. I needed to we didn't need another Kevin in this world. Okay, one is way too many. I needed somebody different. Somebody that was going to help me become what God wanted me to become. And I would not have had it had I been a part of the process of creating the woman. So God puts Adam to sleep, takes his rib, creates the woman, and then brings the woman to the man. Okay. I believe that this is something, and I I can't say that this is the reason that God did it this way. I believe that this is why He did it this way, is so that we would be out of the way, and when we were ready, God would bring us the woman. Okay? I believe this scripture, and I live this scripture. I say, God, I am not going to look for a wife. I need to become a godly man, so make me a godly man, and when I'm ready... You bring the woman to me. I've been walking with the Lord about a year. I was at work at this warehouse and running a machine. And my buddy Richie was working the machine in front of me. And one day he goes, Hey dude, like that. Which means, look. So I turn around. We're in a warehouse. I turn around and I look and there's a single door leading to the outside the way I was supposed to look. When I turn and look... There's a guy and a girl standing in the doorway. Silhouettes is all I saw because the sun outside and we were inside. I could tell that the guy looked like Harold Wells, which was the vice president of the company. And there was a girl standing next to him. That's all I could see. I turned and looked and God said, there's your wife. I went. Right? Oh, there's my flesh again. I got to get out of the way. God's going to do what he's going to do. She started working at that company, this girl, Patty. I saw her. My Harold's son, Greg, used to work with us. I knew Greg since third grade. And Greg was telling me Patty went to the church he went to. I'm like, oh, cool. I'd see her sitting by herself, nobody talking to her at breaks and stuff. So I went over and introduced myself. I knew she was a Christian. So I just went and introduced myself. Now, I know what God told me, but I'm not sure if it was God that told me that or my flesh that said, there's the girl you're going to go after. Okay, so I'm like kind of hesitant. So I went right up to her and said, hey, you're my wife. No, I didn't say it. I just introduced myself to her. Knew she was a Christian. She was always sitting by herself. We started talking. She had a boyfriend from the church she was going to. And he picked her up every day on his motorcycle, and they went wherever they went. And so I was like, she got a boyfriend. I knew it was my flesh. That wasn't God that spoke to me. So then I found out she lived down in Azusa, and her mom used to get up every morning At like, I forget, we started work at like six. So her mom had to get up at five every morning, drive down because she did not drive. My wife did not drive at the time. Oh, I just gave the story away, huh? This girl did not drive yet. So I was living in Baldwin Park not far from her. So I go, hey, I'll pick you up. I'll drive you to work. Okay, I still feel that this, what God told me, is that this is my wife. I still haven't told her because she wouldn't get a ride from me if I did that. I'd pick her up, drive her to work. Her boyfriend would pick her up after work and take her wherever they went. And then we started becoming closer and closer friends. I, the guy, uh, they broke up. He went to he was going to school in Oregon. Found some girl up there was kissing on her face or something. And Patty said, "Nah, you're gone." So I I thought, well, now she doesn't have a boyfriend. So I'm like, hey, let's get together after work and let's just study the Bible. So we started studying the Bible together. Um, she came from a church that was like swing from the chandeliers kind of church, you know, Holy Spirit train, slain in the Spirit, all that stuff. I came from Raw Reese's church. We were just Bible. That's all we, we read the Bible. So we got together. We'd read the Bible. She goes, Where'd you get that from? I goes, it's right here in the Bible. She says, I've never heard that. She'd been a Christian for two years, and I knew the Bible way better than she did because I wasn't into the Holy Spirit stuff. I was Raw was teaching me the Bible, so we'd read the Bible, and so that was what we did. We started getting closer and closer. Um we realized that this was God. We went on our first date. was Mount, Magic Mountain Christian night. And that was the night that I actually told her. And she was like, you know what? I'm not ready for a relationship. I was like, okay. That wasn't very good. That wasn't what I expected to hear, but whatever. Um, anyways, 32 years later, four kids, three grandkids. Um, that was a woman. God brought her to me in his time. I had to be out of the way. It wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't what I chose. Um, Michael and Becca, you know, they've got a crazy... I mean, there were so many things that we found out that Michael was at the same events we were at, sitting actually in front of us at some of them, right next to us, and Michael and Becca never met until she worked at Green Valley Lake. When it was time, God brought them together. And now they're going on seven, going on eight years, right? going on seven years of marriage. Um, but it was God's time. They were just like, whatever God wants. I, I think this is a great principle to stand on. And I believe that if we will, as men, devote ourselves to becoming a godly man and get out of the way of the work that God is trying to do, and I know that five of the men sitting right here, three my boys and then the, the two Yezleys, I know for sure because I know them very well, they're not chasing women. They're waiting on God. And I believe all of them believe God's going to bring them a wife one day, but they know they need to just wait. And God's going to do it, and He's going to be faithful to what um, He's done. So God brings the woman to the man. Once that happens, verses 23 and 24, it says, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. She shall be called Ish.'" Isha, because she was taken out of Ish. Anyways, woman because she was taken out of he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So when the marriage happens, God says, You leave and you cleave. The man needs to leave mommy if he is willing to marry a woman then he better be man enough to support her. He needs to leave mommy, not expect mommy and daddy to support him. He says you leave and you cleave to your wife. So when you have your little spat or whatever's going on, because if you've been married, you will not always get along. There will be discussions that happen. Okay, They don't have to be loud vocal discussions, but they will be discussions. You don't get mad and run home to mommy and tell her all the bad things your wife just did. Okay? I watched that happen. I watched it happen. Not in my life, in my mom and my stepdad. Um, After a while, his mom just do not even come over here anymore, so then he had to go sleep at our shop. But they would get in discussions, and that's what would happen. That's what a man wants to do. He wants to run home to mommy. God says, no. You leave? And you cleave to your wife. Understand, you're not always going to get along. Things are going to happen. We're going to see that. We're going to see some of that stuff. But once we've committed to marriage, there's no going back, okay? There was never a time when I thought, you know, Patty, maybe we need to move in with my mom and stepdad or my mom and her husband or my stepdad and his wife or maybe we should go live with your mom and her husband or your dad and his wife. That was never, It was it's going to be the two of us and if we got to live in a cardboard box, then two of us will live in a cardboard box. In fact, we lived in an apartment, not much bigger than that cry room back there. little two-bedroom with our living room is maybe the size of this stage. Two-bedroom, all four kids, because that's what God had for us. That's all he provided. But you know what? It's like, this is what we're getting. And it was like, man, I just hope people don't get upset because, you know, CPS and, you know, because the world has its ideas of what you need to have. I'm like, man, you go down to South America. Just go to Mexico. They're happy to have four walls and a roof over their head with 12 kids, you know, curtains everywhere. That's your it happens all over the country. We have this idea of what we're supposed to live like. It's like, no, just live within whatever God gives you. Um and and just let him bless you and provide for you and he does. So we need to leave men men Leave and cleave. The other thing we need to know is that God made one man and one woman. That's it. One man, one woman. Not one man and 12 women. Not one man and one man. Not one woman and one woman. Not a man and his dog. One man, one woman. Okay? For a special relationship that we call marriage. Okay, and I'm not going to get all into it, but I do want to bring up the fact that marriage is a Judeo-Christian covenant. That is made. Okay. So when the world. Homosexual people. Want marriage. They. That's why we fight it. No. You can't have marriage. You want a union. Call it what you want to. I don't care what you call it. You know. say Call it. Uh, microphone. Call it. Ceiling. Beam. I don't care what you call it. But it's not a marriage. A marriage is a man. And a woman. And as you go through the scriptures. You see that. God. I I talked about it before. Jesus is the husband. The church is the bride. In the future, there's a, a wedding feast coming. And it is Jesus and his bride. And the church is always in the scripture is in the feminine gender. The church is feminine. Ecclesia is feminine. And it's always that way. And it's pointing to the future man and woman. Jesus and his bride. That's what it's all pointing to. We get to enjoy it in an incredible way here on this earth, but it's all just a type of something that's going to happen in the future. That's why it's so important that it stays as a man and a woman. Like I said, and I don't dis, if they want to have unions, the world wants to give them unions, that's fine. I don't ever disrespect those people or, you know, if they give me an opportunity, I'll tell them what I think and, and talk to them about it, but always respectfully. I do not hate those people. I don't care what they want to say. It's not because I'm homophobic. I work for those people all the time, and I have great relationship with a lot of those people. And uh, they know I, I've never talked disrespectfully to them. So one man, one woman, because of the future relationship, the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to happen. So if this arraignment is acceptable to the woman, then there are special instructions for her as a wife. We find those in Ephesians. So there are special instructions. God says, okay, so you want to be a wife? Here's what it takes. The role of a wife. 22 through 24 of chapter 5 in Ephesians. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, it's not to every husband, to your own husband. Not every man can tell a woman what to do. Your own husband is who you submit to. So you submit to your own husband because the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is head of the church and he is the savior of the body so you see the marriage Christ and the church husband and the wife okay they're tied together there's a reason so we have therefore just as the church is subject to Christ so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything if a woman can't handle that we only have two here so and one made that commitment one isn't there yet, but that's part of the deal. This is what you have to do as a wife. This is what you need to do. Um, also, Colossians three eighteen talks about this, and First Peter uh, three one through 8, one through four. We're not going to read it because I already got the weird word at time. Um, a wife in submitting to her husband. The Bible says, don't let, don't let your adorning be that over the outward, but over the inward, because who knows if that by your subjection to your husband, you may not win him to the Lord. So if you got married, you were not Christians, you got saved, your husband decides he doesn't want to be a Christian, you continue to submit because you don't know if your submission may bring him to the Lord. He's going to wonder, why do you keep submitting to me? Now you submit in lawful things, not in everything. There's um, you know, some men come up with some crazy stuff. You don't submit to anything that would be against what God has said is proper. Um, Verse 23, of here in, in Ephesians, right? Recognize your husband as the head and be subject to him. In Ephesians 5.25, it talks about the role of the husband. Real quick, we're going to read that one. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water, by the word that he might present her to himself, to Jesus, a glorious church. Look at that. The wife, the church. They're, I'm, I'm telling you, that that's the whole idea behind this thing. We're supposed to see that. That this arrangement, this covenant, is husband, wife on the earth, Christ and church in the future in heaven. So, that he might having uh, present her to himself, glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he should be holy and without that she should be holy and without blemish. So the husband ought to love their wives, own wives, only their own wives, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So no one, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Again, the husband, the wife, the Christ and the church. It's crazy, but that's what this whole thing is about. So we have that uh, the husbands are to give themselves for their wives, not only to love them um i think one of the hardest things is that the husbands are to dwell with their, dwell with their wives according to understanding so if you're married you'll know exactly what i'm talking about there it's tough but that's what we're to do because they think differently than we do they hear things that we're not saying and they say things that we don't hear <laughs> so it's like we, we got to dwell according to understanding it's tough cut the parental ties like i already talked about um You mutually render in 1 Corinthians 7 3 through 6, mutually render affection to each other. A key to the whole relationship is communication, right? Ephesians 4 26, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Uh, Verses 31 and 32 of Ephesians 4 is you release the bitterness and the wrath. Let it go. Don't keep score. Let it go. hardest one i have okay proverbs 16 24 use pleasant words when you speak Eighteen twenty four of proverbs says don't answer before you hear this is my biggest problem i like to tell my wife what the answer to her question before she even asks it right i already know what she's going to say we've been married 32 years i know what you're going to say and then she goes, that's not what i was going to say uh, 32 years i'm still trying to figure that one out uh proverbs nineteen 13, don't nag okay talks about the woman being like a dripping, right? It's like nagging. Okay, this is men and women. Okay, it's not just the woman. The woman nags, the man nags. Okay, we both do it. We need to not do that. And we need to avoid responding in anger. Proverbs fourteen 29. Don't respond in anger. So God has this relationship. It's special. It's designed His way. Not what the world says. This is the design. We have to agree to these standards if we want to be married and have a successful marriage. Okay. I've been involved in not me personally as a kid. My mom is on her third husband. My dad died after his first one, not because of her, but after they divorced, he died of cancer. Uh, my stepdad, I believe is on his sixth or seventh wife now, something like that. Okay. That's what I've seen. Uh, fortunately this one is lasted a long time. Uh, it's crazy, because I, I was the best man at the wedding, so I did the toast at the thing, and I, I brought up the fact that they had both had multiple marriages, and that was not God's design. And I got yelled at by a few people for saying that kind of stuff. I brought in my Christian. I'm like, hey, dude, I'm the best man. I could say whatever I want. You guys don't have to like it, but I get to say it. And so I did, and um, it's, it's, it's been good as far as I know. It's, it's, it's working for both of them. They're doing well. They've been together for quite some time that's the design let's do it god's way test him in this thing i believe that if we do that god's way wait he will bring the right one now if and, and this is only for those that may hear it later on online or, or through the cd if you got married and you married an unbeliever that doesn't mean god wants you to divorce your wife and go find a believer the one you're married to is god's perfect person for you you may have some trials a little more than normal but that's god's perfect person okay okay he doesn't want something else. That's what he wants you to be married to. The one you're married to now is God's perfect person for you, and you can't think back and go, "Well, maybe it was somebody else." And I've had I've counseled with people that have tried to tell me that. Okay, that's off the wall. It's Off the wall. Whoever you're married to, that's a perfect person for you. Even if you messed up in getting married, that's the one. So you think about it before you get married. And if you're if someone's listening online or gets a CD, you got to think about it first because. You're only supposed to do it once, okay? That was my commitment to my wife. Divorce was not an option, or I wasn't going to be in my thoughts. It was never going to be in my speech. I would never say it. I would never think it, and I never have. So, um, we're in it for the long haul, you know. If if God wants us apart, He's going to have to take one of us home, and that's just the way it's going to be. We're gonna we're gonna suffer through all the other stuff. Let's pray because I'm already way over when I was told finish. Father, just thank you for. Uh, I thank you so so much personally for my marriage and just the incredible stuff you've done for patty and i i thank you for um, the other marriages here for uh, michael and becca for richard and his wife lord and and for the other richard uh, and his wife just continue to strengthen the marriages we have and for those that are single here i just pray lord a special blessing upon them that they would have the ability to wait to surrender themselves to you, become the godly people that you want them to be so that you could bring them their godly mate and they could have a great, incredible marriage. Uh, We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.